welcome to Buried the Weed. I'm one of your co-hosts, Winnipeg Free Press columnist Jen Zarati. And I'm your other co-host, Winnipeg Free Press multimedia producer Aaron Labar. And welcome to the show, episode 41 of Bury the Weed. Uh, what are we talking about today? Uh, we are going to be talking about the Grammys, a little after the fact, but still many, many interesting things to talk about there. Absolutely. We're also going to be talking about headline writing and the challenges with covering a murder trial. Uh, and we're also going to be... Uh, letting you guys in on our poutine crawl that we did with the arts uh, department last week. How was your week, Jen? My week was pretty good, although I do have a bit of a small a small rant. Please go. A small rant do it. about acquiring concert tickets. Oh, you know how much I hate going mm-hmm. through ticket selling sites. Yep, it's... Uh, so, I know we probably talked about this during the Tragically Hip tour. Although, maybe we did. I don't know if we were doing this podcast yet. Uh, no, we weren't. Um, okay, so then we didn't talk about it. So, we'll <laughs> talk about it now. So, when the Hip announced that they were doing their farewell summer tour, tickets were impossible to get because of... Scalpers! Bots! Yeah, and bots. And, like, just the system of buying tickets online is also made more challenging by the fact that they have all this, like anti-bot stuff that you have to get through so it's like why am i identifying what photos are of salad when all i just want to buy a pair of concert tickets (laughs) (laughs) why why am i doing this exercise so i didn't get tickets to the hip and then i ended up getting tickets when they added a second show right but it kind of came back again this week i was trying to um my bestie and i are planning to see haim and lizzo in toronto okay and uh trying to get tickets to the show was incredibly difficult well, like, didn't they sell out before they even went on sale that's what it seemed like yeah. there was a, first of all there was a million pre-sales right and so we tried like literally every single one of them and nothing and then we went on we were both on general sale i mm-hmm. had my app i had the screen we we're there at you know right on the dot like eight fifty nine or yep. whatever even remembered that if it's tickets for toronto it's in eastern time so i'd be ready at nine right and yeah there's like no tickets to the show. It like it was <laughs> insanity. Is it at Air Canada Center? No, it's at Massey. Oh, okay. So Massey Hall's smaller, like heritage building. Like right. I think capacity of Massey Hall is only like I want to say just over two thousand. Yeah, I think it's just a bit bigger than the Burt. Yeah, it's yeah. it's small. So mm-hmm. fair enough, but still, like really, no tickets for like it was easier getting tickets to Adele. Yes, it was. Like honestly. So and the other thing I noticed that Ticketmaster is doing is they have like a resale. Yeah. Area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, of course, are totally... It's not fair resale. Like, they're all no, marked No, it's prices up. set by the seller. So, like... And that's just so frustrating because I feel like they're condoning bad behavior. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay, fine. It's all on your site so that you know that you're actually getting Ticketmaster verified tickets. But at the same time, we're not really combating the problem of inflation. No, you're so, like almost encouraging it in a way. Exactly. Yeah. So, because we still wanted to go on our trip, we ended up... Buying those tickets. Buy- yeah, yeah, buying... Ugh. So, yeah, it's just like... You know, I, it's like the yay boo. Like, yeah, yay, I get to go to my show. Boo, I'm paid twice as much as I should have. And also like feeding into a terrible industry. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's really frustrating. And this is purely anecdotal, but I feel like it's getting harder. Yeah, it's true. And the other thing I hate about going through Ticketmaster is the freaking service fees. Because you're yeah. paying like $8 a ticket for this and then $2 a ticket for an online processing fee and then another $2 a ticket for this and now you end up paying an extra f- like $15-$20 per ticket for all these fees that I'm not exactly sure what, what they do. 
Monopolies, man. Monopolies. <sighs> yeah. But the point is, I got my tickets and I'm going <laughs> begrudgingly. How was, <laughs> how was your week? I had a very stressful week. Um, my cat was sick. Yeah, Bernie. Poor Bernie. So we were at the vet three times in the span of four days, which was unpleasant. I never actually found out what was wrong with him. He is getting better. Like, he's pretty much almost fully recouped but he wasn't eating for about four days oh and that is stressful yeah and we just like couldn't figure out what was wrong they gave all these x-rays all these blood tests nothing like thousand dollars later we have no idea what <laughs> what was happening so but whatever it is it's fine he's he's better he's eating now but good and pleased to hear so that. i'm glad that's over with and then the week improved immensely uh, on Thursday because we went on a poutine crawl with the arts department. We did. So you may recall the burger crawl that we did um, in the you summertime. Can, you yeah. can talk more about this since you yeah. wrote the actual story. Yeah. But. So uh, La Burger Week is a big deal in Winnipeg. More than 100 restaurants took part. So we did a burger crawl and it was very fun and very successful. And basically restaurants like come up with their own like creative burgers yeah. and then people eat them all. And so... Uh, Le Poutine Week has been happening in Montreal since 2012, but this is the first year they brought it to Winnipeg. And it's very similar to uh, Le Burger Week in that restaurants, more than I think 80 restaurants, create their own signature take on poutine dishes. So uh, we went to four different restaurants in St. Boniface and filled our bellies with cheese and potatoes for literal hours. And it was great. It was delicious. We had, so my favorite one, I think, was the one that we had at Boucher Boucher, yeah. which was like a deconstructed Reuben yeah. poutine. My favorite was the one from Marion Street Eatery called the Drunken Baba. And oh, it that had one was very good beets too. and pickles on it and a horseradish cream with the gravy and cheese and fries. And it Lots was so dill. good. And some unnecessary sausage, but that's okay. Oh, it doesn't matter. It was so good. It was so good. Um, the Boucher Boucher one had like, you could see like the grainy mustard and yeah, like, the, the sauerkraut yeah. were just so good and like... And I don't usually like sauerkraut, but no, in that neither. context with the, you know, the corned beef and everything else, it was really good. So if you're interested in finding out our opinions on all the restaurants that we went to, that would be in the paper today. And it's also uh, been online since Friday. And then Poutine Week runs through the 7th. Hilariously. I Do you watch Riverdale? No. Well, I'm not really spoiling anything for you, but hilariously, right after our poutine crawl, so we went on Thursday, I watched last week's episode of Riverdale catching up and they had a whole like poutine like sub narrative like basically this mobster that Hiram Lodge knows (laughs) from Quebec is like I forget what his mob name is it's it's like the poutine king or something um and he ordered a poutine at like pop tates and he's like I ordered poutine this is vomit (laughs) so (laughs) weirdly thematic yeah. But none of the poutines we tasted were vomit. No, they, they were, were all, they were all very really good. good. Yeah. Even if you're a poutine purist, there's lots to get behind. So the Grammys happened already probably like a week and a half ago. Yes. But, but we're going to talk about We're going to talk about it anyway because I've had some thoughts brewing. Lay them on me. First of all... Unrelated to any of the important things that were happening at the Grammys. I didn't mean to sound so sexy when I said <laughs> lay it on me. Um, so first of all, someone told me before I saw the Grammys that Shaggy and Sting had created a single and were releasing it. And I thought this was a farce. Like I thought it was a joke, like an Onion article. It's a true thing that happened. Oh my God. So they performed this single at the Grammys and it was amazing. Like, it was so good. But the whole time I was thinking like... Man, Shaggy has the best version of fame, right? 
Like you release a few. Tell, tell me more about this. <laughs> this is a this is a take <laughs> that I have not seen, and I'm interested. <laughs> okay, so uh, he he released a string of very popular singles in mm. the, in the early 2000s. Make a butt ton of money. This was like sort of pre, well, kind of right at the time Napster started, I guess. Mm-hmm. So people were still buying records then. Right. Make a ton of money. I mean, it wasn't me. Everyone knows that song. Freaky Girl. Come on. Like, of course. Billions of dollars. Maybe not billions, but lots of money in your pocket. Go away for a while. Go back to Jamaica. I mean, would you recognize Shaggy if you saw him on the street? No. Right. Exactly. So you got all the money in your pocket. No one's taking your picture. No one's asking you for selfies. No paparazzi <laughs> are following you. You come back 10, 15 years later with Sting. One more single. Get some more cash in your pocket and then peace back out to Jamaica. Like, how amazing is that? You're not wrong. That's how pretty, amazing that is, is that? pretty ideal. I mean, I heard that he was doing some stuff in Europe and had released some stuff there, but like still you get all the money yep. and all the best parts of being famous without the paparazzi and the crappy parts. Amazing. It's true. You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not. That is an airtight defense. Like, of good for you. The career of Shaggy. Good <laughs> right? job. <laughs> Don't ever feel sorry for him, man. He is doing it right. I <laughs> speaking of this, <laughs> um, I feel like, so there's a few like, institutional acts that I don't like that everybody likes and Mm. Sting is one of them I mean I wouldn't say I love Sting but when I tell people that they're like appalled why I don't know because he's a a legend in his own right but yes fine but like every time like Roxanne comes on the radio like I turn I have a visceral response turn it (laughs) off like what is this accent he's doing like I I don't I dislike it so much like so actively I'm also not really all that down with you too and I thought you were gonna say you don't like people. shaggy and i was about to slap you <laughs> <laughs> i uh i i really have no opinion on shaggy but i do <laughs> i do feel that your defense of his career is airtight i also i'm only so so on you too except for joshua tree that album is like um, amazing yes that's yeah. fair yeah i will i will, everything before or after i'm kind of indifferent i will add a joshua tree clause to my <laughs> opinion but oh, like yeah, there's just there's certain. Well, they also performed at the like, Grammy. So, oh my god, yeah. Well, and let's talk about that because why? Like the Hudson River. Let's talk about the the problem with the Grammys and the lady problem that everybody <laughs> seems to continue to have. So I know heading into the Grammys, everyone was talking about like, oh, I wonder what like the Me Too moment at the Grammys will look like. Right. And, like, everyone wore white and blah blah blah. White flowers. White flowers. That's right. White flowers. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't nearly as impactful as it was at the Globes. No. And I think it was because at the Globes, like, women didn't win a ton of awards there either, but at least they won more than one. Yeah, that's true. You know, I think it wasn't a teen, like a teenager from Canada. (laughs) (laughs) It's really hard to be like, yes, empowerment for women. When only one woman is nominated for a major award. Right. Yeah. And then it just seems like a festival of celebrating well, too, male accomplishment. Yeah. yeah. And so I think finally what's happening this week is like, because really the only story, and I think we talked about this, the only story leading up to the Grammys and kind of like the kind of anything that you could consider Me Too adjacent was everything surrounding Kesha. Right. Um, but there hasn't really been any big story like that. Like I was expecting like a whole bunch of like things to come out about like producers and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, there, there hasn't, hasn't been a lot of follow through. There hasn't been that kind of reckoning that other industries mm-hmm. have seen. Yeah, the only real powerful 
message was from Janelle Monet. Yeah. She was saying, well, this does happen in our industry as well, but but I don't understand why no one is talking about it. It's, it's It's probably, I would, I would venture to say it's probably more prevalent in the music industry than anywhere else. Well, especially if you look at the number of women that go into like the behind the scenes stuff. So whether Mm -hmm. we're talking about producers or engineers, songwriters, there's quite a few women, Mm -hmm. but producers, engineers, people who would have like technicians, you know, power to wield in the industry, like label executives, Mm -hmm. like, like it's still very male dominated. Definitely. Um, so yeah, so I feel like it's coming. I just don't know when, but then to have like the Grammys dude be like, Women need to step, step up. up. Yes, that's poor, the issue. Poor choice of words. Sir. That's the issue. Women not stepping up. Like, it's just, it's so frustrating. So it's just, I felt like the whole thing was a bit of a reminder that as much as the last three months, because remember, that's really all that has elapsed mm-hmm. since Me Too started. There's still so much work to do in so many industries. And, mm-hmm. you know, part I, of that is recognizing the imbalances, like gender imbalances in production and like all that all those areas yeah it's not just the people on stage that a music career makes you know like Mm -hmm. i'm just i'm just waiting i'm just waiting for something to happen for someone to say something a story to break it's gonna happen well and even like when people do say something so like look at kesha yeah like yeah you know it 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 took so much uphill fighting for her to even like be heard and believed like mm-hmm. i kind of wonder if it would have been different if her story broke now versus when it did yeah. but it's hard to say but it's yeah it seemed like just in contrast to the globes and just because they were so close together yeah just yeah. less momentum mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. moving on mm-hmm. um so this week or last week i guess um the Raymond Cormier trial began. Um, So that is the person who is on trial for the murder of Tina Fontaine. Fontaine. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously a big deal trial that a lot of people are watching. Like it's captured national national attention. Um, Tina Fontaine, of course, was the 15 year old girl whose body was discovered in the Red River. Um, And so I think a lot of people are looking at this as a real moment for potential justice for missing and murdered indigenous women like this is a pretty landmark trial for lots of reasons absolutely um so obviously a lot of emotions with this trial as well and uh there was a headline on a canadian press story that caused a stir last week um and i believe the headline was about how tina fontaine had drugs and alcohol in her system yes which was a very small part of the day's testimony. Yes. The day's testimony from which that story came from was about establishing um, cause of death. Cause of death. Mm-hmm. And our colleague Katie May has been covering. Doing such a good job. Yeah. Doing an amazing job covering this trial. Um, and our headlines, like the free press, we don't always nail it because nobody always nails it all the time. Like mm-hmm. everyone makes mistakes. But I feel like our handling of this case in, from a headline perspective has been a lot better. Right. Like I think our headline was something like Tina Fontaine's drug use under the microscope at the trial. Um, and then the follow-up story was, we don't know how she died. Toxicologist, right. basically. Yeah. Because that's what was determined. Because the line about the drugs in her system were that they weren't fatal. So they were ruling out that as a cause of death. Right. Because when you find a body, you don't necessarily know how it got there or how she died. Or what so happened. That, yeah. That's what the day was to figure out. 
And so a lot of people were really upset about the disrespectful Canadian press headline. And it kind of showed to me, yes, it's true. I think that was a bad headline. Yeah. And I think it's poor for a lot of the reasons people say it was poor. It perpetuates stereotypes and it puts the focus on Tina's behavior. Just on the wrong thing. When yeah. Tina was a girl. Like, that's also something that I find frustrating about, like, she's not even a woman. She's a teenager. She's a girl. A young teenager. You know? She's like, so yeah, she's part of the missing and murdered Indigenous women. But let's remember that there's also a lot of missing and murdered Indigenous girls. Like, she was a kid. Um, And yeah, it just puts the focus on the wrong thing. And it was a very small part of the day, whatever. But what kind of it revealed to me also is that a lot of people don't understand maybe the behind the scenes working of how news is produced right and, and what a wire story is and what a wire story is so, so we're gonna dive we're do gonna a dive, deep dive into that yeah um because a lot of people took issue with the globe and mail specifically even though it was a canadian press, press story story so to explain how that works the canadian press is a wire service and canadian press stories appear in publications across, across the, country. the country if that was a canadian press headline that would be the headline that would every move single the wire yeah so that's so if your if your issue is with the headline, the appropriate contact would be Canadian, Canadian press. Um, as well, headlines are tough, and they're not writers don't write them. So yeah, reporters reporters do write not headlines. write their own headlines. Um, and the people that are tasked with writing headlines have a really really tough job, which you can speak to. Yeah, I worked on the copy editing desk for. I guess it's probably around a year, maybe a year and a half. And I didn't have very much experience writing headlines. Um, but it is an art. It is so incredibly hard. So hard. You have such a limited space, either one kind of row across the top or a little sort of box with a few words in each line, like a three line headline or whatever. So it depends on the layout of the actual of the paper. Exactly. And then you're trying, in news stories that have a lot of information, you're trying to distill all of that into six words, which is, it takes forever. It's so hard. Because those six words have to do a few things. One, they have to entice a reader to read the story. Yes. Two, they have to give you enough information that should you not read the story, you kind of know what's going on. And it has to be accurate. Like it it has has to be be accurate. accurate. And then the fourth layer of that is that it has to be respectful, you know, yeah. and that trying to achieve all those things with a very. And then when you're, yeah. And economy. then when you're looking at headlines that are multiple lines, you have to consider what's a good word break or a bad word break. So you can't, you can't separate a certain phrase or a certain string of words because it doesn't make sense from line to line. So you have to adjust it and find new words to say the same thing. And it's, it's really, really hard. <laughs> and the headline also has to reflect the story. So in the CP case, it's reflecting the story. It's the not necessarily the story, reflecting yeah. the trial. No, they weren't there. At which yeah. the headline writer was not at. You know yeah. what I mean? So really, They're you're relying on at, the writer. You're looking at the copy that's right in yeah. front of you. Yeah. Um, so that's also challenging. So yeah, whatever the writer chooses to feature, chooses to lead with, that's often where the headline is derived from, right? Totally. So it's a very complicated situation for sure but i think what is kind of nice about um social media is that people are able to talk about those i mean like before if there was a bad headline you or i would maybe get a letter or an email right right because that's clearly sometimes a phone call if we're really lucky (laughs) that you know like people would be upset by a headline and rightly so sometimes headlines are bad and as we saw last week i have submitted plenty of my own 
ill-written headlines. Yeah. <laughs> like, they don't. They, they don't, don't always work. They just don't. And sometimes they fail to do some of the things that we talked about that they're yeah. supposed to do. They fail to grab a reader. They fail to. Or they just miss the point. They just they miss just, the point. They just miss it. Yeah. Um. So I, I often appreciate at the free press when I'm writing something that's particularly like sensitive, mm-hmm. I'll often get emails from copy editors being like, does this work for a headline? Right. So that, and they don't have to do that. No. Um, but I appreciate that they do so that I can be like, Oh, you know, I feel like this would be better or this would be not. But mm-hmm. what I was going to say, what I like about social media is that there are like very good suggestions sometimes from people who are like, here, I fixed your headline because it's a reminder to all of us the language we use and the words we use, they need to be precise. And when you have so few of them, precision is everything. Mm-hmm. So there has been a few times where someone will be like, you know, we'll Photoshop a headline and be like, here, like media outlet X, I fixed your headline. And it's like, oh yeah, like that is better. That is better. Yeah. Fair enough. So yeah. I think it kind of gets us to think about the words we're using in all areas, not just I find sometimes the focus is really on the body of the story and like what's in the story, but it's Mm -hmm. like cut lines, headlines, all those things. They're really important. They're very important. And they're also an art as well. There are awards for them. And there are awards for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's which I, I didn't know. We have a few headline Mm -hmm. uh, award nominated writers in our, in our midst. (laughs) I didn't know that until I started working for the free press, but like it's, you know, and you don't, I think it's one of those things that you don't really think about when you're reading your, Mm -hmm newspaper or reading you know mm-hmm. and and the whole world of clickbait headlining as well and how yeah. they all form like a very specific formula like you won't believe what happened when blah, blah, yeah know. we don't do that <laughs> we don't do that but it is a whole other art form of headline writing and when you consider that there are people who only read the headlines mm-hmm. um, well, especially in now twitter news totally Central, right like you're just getting a headline totally so that's kind of like OG Twitter is like just like headlines, right? Um, well, they're just serving a more important function than they ever have before, really. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I encourage people that if they do have, you know, issues with headlines or or, or, or whatever, you love a headline, or yeah, send. People love to know when their headlines are appreciated. Yeah, people like to know when stuff works. Yeah, and when it doesn't work. Conversely, but yeah, I think a little bit of demystify demystifying the process uh, helps people understand how this stuff comes to be. So we're going to try another new segment today. New, new month, new segment. Yeah, we're just trying. We're just trying. We're just, we're just trying all this new stuff. We're, we're trying. <laughs> just trying, period. <laughs> um, so I am known for my interesting Netflix uh, choices. Yes. You are. So we decided to do a segment called Netflix Rabbit Hole, which b- I will start. Please do. Because um, you find crazy things to watch. I, <laughs> I love finding the weirdest sort of documentaries and reality television shows I can find. So um, recently I have been binge watching Cheapest Weddings in Australia. <laughs> that is not a real thing. It is. 100%. Cheapest we- Is it actually called Cheapest Weddings in Australia? Well, it's called Cheapest Weddings, but they're all in Australia. I wish it was called Cheapest <laughs> So I think there's six or seven Cheap episodes. Weddings, Australia edition. <laughs> yeah. I think there's six or seven episodes and they're about an hour each. And I'm just checking to make sure I pushed record. <laughs> and uh, like how cheap are these weddings? Some of them are like less than a thousand dollars. Like Australian? I don't know what they're Well, yeah, no, they're dollars. Sorry. Australian dollars. Yeah. I'm not sure what the conversion is, but it's. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That impresses me. Some like they order their dresses online. They a lot of them um, for their reception venues pick like 
bowling clubs like lawn like lawn bowling i guess would be in australia or yep. cricket clubs or whatever and they get really cheap deals and it's like it's unbelievable some of this stuff that they do to save money that is inspirational but i still can't believe that's a real show one lady her partner does her hair for her like dyes her hair and gives her manicures and pedicures and like rubs her feet <laughs> just because he doesn't want her to spend money going to the salon and he shaves her legs for her oh my god yeah it's like she calls it like spa day and they just like put a chair in the backyard and he just goes <laughs> goes to town <laughs> it's hilarious so that's if you're interested in that i would highly suggest checking it out and then i also watched most dangerous prisons in the world <laughs> that sounds very intense yeah and completely different and i don't know why i watched it before bed but i did and then i had nightmares obviously obviously a lot of them were in russia unsurprisingly oh my god so you know if that's up your alley there's a, a cannibal in one of them oh my god so you know yeah check it out <laughs> check, check check it out um i don't watch a ton of reality tv like for a long I time i love my, it my only reality show is project runway um but i also embarked down a bit of a netflix rabbit hole myself and watched confessions animal hoarding or animal <laughs> hoarders or something <laughs> yeah that is a deeply stressful show like oh that would make me sad i think it was very sad because these people love their animals legitimately so much they just probably gonna go home and watch this right they now. just get overwhelmed or there's like you oh. know and it's it's a bit like do the animals die sometimes sometimes hmm. but the one we watched both ended happily, but okay. there was one guy who had 30 cats. <gasps> They're oh, three no. zero. That's a lot of cats. Oh my. And like just got overwhelmed and didn't know what to do. And the cats like took over his life and his house. And like they were feral. Like it was crazy. Oh and, my God. But he had a criminal record. So he was scared about turning oh. himself to animal control because if you do have a hoarding situation, you can be charged. In yeah. Some states. It's like animal cruelty. It's animal yeah. cruelty. Yeah. Um, because that's the hard part, right? Is that it is animal cruelty, but these people so obviously love their animals, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's tough, but it turned out okay. Like he said, but he, the saddest scene was when he was saying goodbye to each cat individually. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, buddy. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's stressful. Like I was like, that is not a show you can binge. That is a show that you need to One like, at a time. sit with and be upset about. So what are you working on? Well, festival is coming up. Oh yes. Festival is so coming up. I'll be doing some sort of piece related to that. I don't know what yet. Music related. That's my thing. That's so I would thing. assume so. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really great artists, local artists and people coming in from mm -hmm. other places. Justin Towns Earl is doing, Ooh, I got a hiccup <laughs> <laughs> doing a show. And that was the weirdest the feeling. Excitement I'm so excited about Justin Towns Earl. Um, he hasn't been here since Interstellar Rodeo a couple of years ago. So it's exciting to have him back. Cool. And also I feel like, um, before I think people thought of festival as being like, you know, like a family event where you like make maple syrup oh pops, now it's like late night party time totally so it's becoming a, a, like more of a destination music festival as well mm -hmm. so it's always um they always program good stuff yeah what are you working on you're waiting for me to ask you that question i, I can see okay With, what are you working on that's Jen? what my face said yeah your your brows said yeah, it all my brows said everything um i am kind of in the beginning a bunch of projects including one that is going to explore um the animation scene mm -hmm. in winnipeg um as well as a few other things that i'm going to keep under my hat for now but i did want to talk about i had mentioned last week that i was about to read a book by a woman named aaron right Faulkner right right called how to get shit done and uh so I had a column in Saturday's paper um, about this book. And it was actually so different than I thought it was going to be. Like oh, I yeah? thought it was going to be like a tips and tricks kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it was more like, no, here's how to reevaluate your life and actually do less so that you can do more. So like, what do you actually want to be doing? Are these so tasks like, contributing to your goals? Very big picture. What are your goals? You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It was the first 
productivity book I've ever read that really focused on it through a feminist lens. So I appreciated it. And Erin Faulkner's from Winnipeg. And not in like a Neil Young way in like she grew up here and went to Baltimore Spent Hall. real time here. Yeah. Yeah. That's and cool. she just has a little boy and his middle name is Winnie because that's how much she loves Winnipeg. Even though that's she's so been in cute. LA for like almost 20 years. So that's cute. Yeah. So you can find that column and everything else we've written. Nice uh, segue. And the queen of the segue um, at winnipegfreepress.com. You can also follow us on social media. I'm at Jen Zaradi on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm at Naya Rebel on Instagram and Twitter. And we we'll will see you next week. week.